for 13 years in a row. Ranking Arizona's number one most trusted referral network, rosieonthehouse.com. Protecting you, informing you, and educating you. And over three decades of Rosie on the House. And welcome to hour number two of the weekly radio broadcast here at Rosie on the House. We call this our On the House Hour, where we spend the hour talking about something specifically on your home, castle, or cabin. And if you follow along in the home maintenance calendar that might be hanging by your computer, on your refrigerator, maybe even the toolbox in your garage, you can see that you know that uh, you know all month of November, we've just been talking primarily holiday prep has been the theme this month for On the House Hour. And we've got uh, a little bit of a sidetrack from that. Uh, we do have the Holiday lighting is our weekly to-do coming up in the third hour next hour and that we'll get to. But this hour, uh, we're talking about questions received here at Rosie on the House that probably should be asked more often. You know, when we first started the website back in the 90s, we labeled this section as frequently asked questions. Uh, you've sure you've been to a website where you've seen FAQs before. Uh, but the whole internet and FAQs just became um, a very narrow bit of content, and you don't see them much anymore. And the frequently asked questions were like uh, mainly about the business, like what time do you open, or uh, <laughs> you know where 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 do you get your materials from, or you know it was very very narrow bit of content so we changed it to actually the do-it-yourself database diy database and we also did that because a lot of the content that's in there is not related to questions that we got asked this might be um you know one question that spawned into two or when we discovered something new when we're talking to one of our partners or we're doing uh repairs at a homeowner's house or whatever the case may be and it's useful information that all homeowners need to know. We'll put it in the proper category. So the changing it to the DIY database encompassed the things that we thought were important that needed to be added prior to waiting for somebody to ask for it. And then we've got another section called the blog, and we're busy integrating the blog into the DIY database. There's the developers are fighting me on it, you know, saying, no, you for search engine optimization, SEO, and they even call it like SEM now, I think. Those are some big words. They, uh, <laughs> yeah. They want the URL blog separated from the DIY database. I'm like, well, so much of it's the same content, and it's going to be more user-friendly if we take the blog and put it integrated inside the DIY database with those articles uh, so that somebody doesn't have to go looking at two different, under two different designations within our website for uh, for the same category because it might have been answered in the blog but not the DIY database or it might have been talked about on the podcast. But I will say the predictive search feature on our website in the upper right-hand corner, if you go there and you just start typing, it'll bring up articles that have uh, the keywords in it that you're typing and that has been a good answer in the meantime because uh, that will pull from the DIY database, from the podcast, and from the blog articles. 
So we're, regardless of which one of those medians or if all of those medians had content on that, that search engine will show it. And uh, then you can open up articles individually one at a time and find what you're looking for. So I, I still think there's a better way we can make that more user-friendly. But as of right now, just that, that search tool on a desktop, it does not show up on a cell phone right now, which is something that's very aggravating that we're working on diligently with the developers to get fixed right now, uh, like yesterday. But I don't think that's going to happen for the, this week. <laughs> It is the holidays, you know. It's the holidays. Yeah. <laughs> so, our, so our article, the long way to get around to our article this week is the five questions we received uh, that should be asked more often. So these originally did come back to frequently asked questions, the original frequently asked questions, uh, and a lot of these date back. Uh, this first one, uh, power washing wood. I mean, I remember this argument uh, Maybe even as early as the late 90s when Rosie and Don Breeze would argue constantly about the proper way to prepare wood before painting it. And Rosie was always, ah, just power wash it and let it dry, then paint it. And Don, uh, who is a painter by trade, he's much more than that, but but painting uh, a painter by trade for many years was a firm believer you do not power wash or even hose off wood before you paint it. The introduction of moisture, no matter how long you let it uh, dry before you paint it, is not a, a good, long-lasting uh, solution to taking care of your wood. You know, it might help you get by here and there a little bit. He was always much more of the paint, uh, the scraping and the sanding of your wood prior to paint you doing your, your paint prep. And if it's for a deck or exterior wood, a lot of times, you know, we don't even like applying paint to it. We like doing a lot of deep penetrating stains on top, especially if it's like a redwood. Um, you know, if it's pine or something else like that, you know, that, that's, you know, paint. You, you'll want to paint that. And it's <laughs> in the article, we talk about them, Rosie and Don joking back about this. And, you know, they, they sh they're still both very firm on, on their method. But one of the things that you have to watch out for if you are power washing, it's very easy to get yourself in the habit of taking the wand and bringing it too close to the surface of the wood. You don't want to get any more than six inches, you know, maybe a little closer in some cases. But when you're power washing it and you're trying to get rid of some type of stain or fungus, and, you know, everything around this one area has cleaned off just fine with that one area. It is very hard to resist the temptation to just go in there with the power washer and get a little closer and, you know, wave the wand a little bit harder and a little bit crazier. And the grain uh, throughout the wood that they call the pith will start to create, create, create craters in the wood grain itself. So then it gives you an a more uneven surface to both and whether you're applying paint or stain, which makes it even harder to properly coat uh, the wood that you're trying to finish. Now, with all that said, 
if you are going, if you don't have a wood deck but you're looking for one, or uh, you're you've got some eaves that need to be replaced, you know, wood is still your best option. But we would strongly suggest on an eave application wrapping that in aluminum. There are companies that do that. Um, and then if you're doing deck, look a wood deck. Look for composite materials. Um, Trex is probably the most popular one. They say there are products better, but Trex was kind of like the, the first to the market where they take uh, wood so wood from mills that's like the sawdust and leftover chips, and they integrate it with recycled plastic, a lot of which are milk jugs. And then they make these sheets of <clears throat> that look just like wood. You work with them just like wood. You know, you cut it with a the same you would a wood saw, you drill them the same way, and the color is dyed into the wood plank itself, so it gives you, uh, you know, it's, it's not something you ever have to then go back and paint again, go back and uh, recoat again, and in that case, you know, it's pretty easy to hose off that artificial wood surface. I wouldn't use a pressure washer. A garden hose should have enough pressure for you on that with a good tight nozzle. That would be how we would recommend any new construction going forward. You know, wood in Arizona exposed, especially in the, well, I mean, all over the state, you know, whether you're down in the desert in the hot heat with all the UVs or you're high up in the mountains closer to the sun, our the wood just gets beat to heck. And it's not a, what we think, a, something that you're going to really, you know, it, it's just a money trap. You know it's going to get replaced. You know it's going to get torn down. You know it has a short shelf life. Why not find something that will last you longer? And uh, one of the neat things about the treks is at the point where, let's say, the color has faded enough uh, and it's time to get that replaced. You can unscrew it, throw it away, and then just get new planks and put them right on top. Uh, so it, it's something that's easier to uh, and not throw them away. Go recycle them uh, back to the manufacturer. So that prevents the additional wood waste. So that was question number one. And all of these questions have linked to the original, in our blog, have links to that original article. And that Trex is spelled T-R-E-X? T-R-E-X. There we go. All right. Uh, uh, The next question, what to know about choosing caulking? And the only thing I'll say really about caulking is the smaller the bead, the better. You don't want to see a big glob. In fact, you shouldn't be able to see that at all. You should have to get right up to the edge of those two uh, materials where they're coming together and strain with your eyes to be able to see that there's even caulking there. Uh, it's the sign that the whatever those two pieces were were put together cleaner and straighter. And then at the point you're ever having to go back and do uh, repaint, you know, one of the first things you do is cut out all the old caulking. Well, if you've got all these big globs and glunks and this bead that's as wide as your finger, that's a lot of time. A little tight bead, man, whoosh, whoosh, one, one strip on each side with a razor knife, and you've got it cleaned up. So there's the first two of our five in the article on five things that homeowners should be asking more often here for uh, 
living in the Arizona desert. It's Rosie on the House with you every Saturday morning, 9 o'clock hour on the House Hour. And we'll continue right after this. Let's see if we can go to Eileen. Okay, so I am just about to lose my mind over <laughs> a smoke alarm uh, that even with fresh batteries, and I've tested multiple times, and it won't stop beeping. That's so nice. I, we have it in the furthest room from where we typically spend our time in the house. The door is closed, and I can we can still hear it through the door. Uh, I'm getting. We're getting ready to take wire cutters to it this morning, and I'm like, "What's wrong? Why? Why is it continuing to beat?" Eileen, I'm going to ask you to hold on one minute. We're going to reach out to one of our uh, Rosie certified security professionals, see if we can raise them up in what we call a Rosie lifeline. Dusty is on line three. Welcome to the program. Dave. I'm David. Yeah, go ahead, David. The dust problem that we're having in the house. Okay. Appears to be it's a white powder, very, very fine. Once in a while, a chunk will come out that's probably the size of a pinhead. And I am very sure to me that that is the, coming from the blown-in insulation in the attic. The money you've spent so far, what was it spent on? Uh, essentially four things. Uh, have the ductwork sealed. When they did that, they also replaced section of the duct itself. It's one of these uh, things that has, you know, is a, a tube and okay. it collapses. And yep. they, they cleaned the ducts and they had a duct pressure tap. And all of those passed. Has you, have you recently replaced the air conditioning unit or did this problem just start right out of the blue? We're in an older home in Sun City West, okay. built in 79. Okay. Uh, we replaced the air conditioner three years before the problem started. The fact that the problem didn't develop for three years, I would still want to check that air handling cabinet really good and make sure nothing inside that air handling cabinet isn't deteriorating. The fact that we've already sealed the ducts, my question would be, did we seal the ducts by crawling through the attic and wrapping everything, or did we apply AeroSeal? I'm guessing from the money you spent, we probably wrapped it from the outside. AeroSeal may be the next thing to try, where they actually pressurize the ductwork and spray like a fix-a-flat product into the ductwork and it seals up any and every hole that'll solve it but the first thing we're going to want to do is get the product the dust tested at a laboratory to see if we can determine if in fact it is what we we, we got to find out what it is then we'll know what to look. That we were able to catch Jared with Techno Security, Rosie Certified Security Expert, available to talk real quick in the middle of his Saturday chores. And Eileen has a smoke detector that won't quit chirping. Hi, okay. Eileen. Hey, Rosie. How are you guys doing? Very good. Jared, how can you help her? Before you take wire cutters to those, let's, uh, let's see if we can solve it. So just about any smoke detector you're going to have up on the ceiling there, Eileen, you should be able to, if you put your hand on it, twist it 
counterclockwise, you should be able to pop it off of there, and then you'll see an attachment clip. You can remove that clip, and then the nice thing is if we do decide that you're going to get new smoke detectors, you just buy the new smoke detector, click it right back into there, and if you have the same brand, it'll fit right back onto that base on the ceiling and put a brand new one up. But before you do that, what I would recommend doing is there is a test button on a smoke detector, and that low battery may just that low battery warning may just be stuck inside the little basic processor inside the smoke detector so press the test button and hold it down for 15 seconds you'll you'll get that beep from the smoke detector and then it should go away if it doesn't what i'm guessing it is all the smoke detectors with a backup battery have an internal battery in them so even if you take the backup battery out and you took the smoke detector off the wall and there's no power going to it there's an internal battery in it that still keeps it working for a little bit. And if that internal battery has failed, then you're still going to get the chirping. And the last two things, the age of the smoke detector. If it's more than seven or eight years old, it may have reached the end of its lifespan and the smoke detector doesn't care if you put a new battery in. It's just saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done here. Um, and so it's going to beep away because it's, it's reached the end of its life. Very last one to mention that we do have a big problem with in Arizona is the way that your smoke detector works, there's a little very fine filter in it, and normally when smoke or, you know, other things go into it, that's what sets off the smoke detector. Being in Arizona that we have a lot more fine dust than other parts of the country, that seven, eight-year lifespan can be accelerated and once that little filter in a smoke detector that once again should normally just be filtering and looking for smoke once that has filled up if there's been any renovations in the home or anybody's had uh, you know some fine dust from sawing drywall or just the dust from the outside of the home once that has clogged up the smoke detector it's done no battery replacement is going to fix it so Again, what I would do is hold the test button down for 15 seconds. If that doesn't fix it, it's, it's probably time for a new smoke detector. I'm glad we got Jared on the phone. That, that, that was about five or six things. I, I had one or two ideas. That's Jared from Techno Security. I didn't on, know about the dust thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, on on never... Rosie's Lifeline. He's uh, You can find him on our website, rosieonthehouse.com under security systems there you go eileen now we just saved your whole family sanity you can thank us and in this segment we'll pick back up on the five questions received at rosie on the house that homeowners should be asking more often or at least maybe we should cover more here at rosie on the house so you know not to ask it and you are uh just that smart of an arizona homeowner because you tune in here every saturday morning if you're just joining us the first uh, couple questions we covered in the segment number one of this hour on to number three should i replace or refinish my cabinets and again this is our blog of the day that you can find the direct link on our home page but right now you know refinish or uh, replace cabinets is a great question if you have cabinet boxes that are still structurally sound you know, you, you open it up and you don't see anything warping at the bottom. Um, the doors are still mounted well onto the side. There's nothing hanging. Um, you knock on it with your finger or your knuckle and everything still sounds solid. 
there's a good argument to just refinish them. A new cabinet order can right now is at least four months out. So there's that. Uh, not to mention the cost of new cabinets has really uh, grown substantially over the years, uh, well outpacing inflation just with the added, uh, you know, if, if you're doing real wood, you know, a lot of those old cookie cutter homes, they might be particle board uh, on the sides that, you know, you know, are decent and they'll last and they're just paint surface, paint finish. But if you're doing real wood cabinet replacement, the amount of options that are available, the amount of hardware selection that's available, the lighting that, that's available, the new hardware hinges, the retractable shelves. Well, all of those things can be done to an existing cabinet as long as it's structurally sound. You know, you can add the rollout shelves. You can add the soft-closed hardware hinges. You can add lighting strips. They don't have to be done all at once either. You can tackle them one at a time as budget allows through the course of a month or a quarter or over the years, whatever the case may be. The doors are going to be the trickiest thing, but they're so unique that there's actually companies, and there's two in Arizona that I'm aware of that are local, um, and I got these from Irwin's Furniture, one of our Rosie on the House certified partners that uh, has two branches, Don Irwin and his wife started as a furniture restoration company, and then as the kids joined the company and they were looking to expand and grow. Uh, Jeremiah, the son, branched out and opened a cabinet making division. And I talked to him and he's like, you know, just just straight door replacement. They're better off going to elite wood or mainly doors and ordering a new new custom doors from there. Uh, and they're not the only company uh, that does that outsources doors through either one of these. Most cabinet shops outsource their doors from companies that make nothing but cabinet doors. So you as a homeowner could go to either one of these. Uh, you know, I don't know how they work. They may come out and want to take measurements themselves, uh, or you could take off the cabinets that you're looking to have replaced the doors off and bring them in so they have the proper dimensions. Then you can pick out your style and your size. And while those are getting built, you can go back and then um, sand down your existing cabinets or paint over them with the, whether you're doing paint finish or stain finish, depending uh, on the look you're trying to go for. And that's a great way to uh, utilize and repurpose an old, outdated cabinet set in your kitchen is good enough to last another 20, 30, 40 years. You're just looking for a new style. And again, it's one of those things you, you could piece out over the course of time. It's not something you need to finish today, uh, and it was, especially if you don't have kids or a lot of people living in the home. It's one that you can tackle uh, over, over a long process of time. So that's the question. Replace or refinish? And unless you just got money burning a hole in your pocket and there's great cabinet companies that will gladly uh, make new ones for you, uh, I would I would look probably first at uh, get the refinish option. Also, you want to keep in mind, we still have that supply shortage issue. So sometimes ordering that cabinet might take longer than you think. Right. Or? You know, that, that could be. Um, it seems like a lot of that is catching back up. And a lot of the big cabinet guys, and here's what I, what I never understood. Um, they own their own forests, so they can control their supply. 
So I don't know if the demand was so high that their trees weren't growing fast enough to keep up with demand. I think um, I think there might have been a lot of instances where that was just used as an excuse. Okay. Uh, over the past couple of years, not in every case, but probably not in most cases. But I'm not saying that there weren't people that were opportunistic in that and just said, "Well, everyone else is having a problem. Let's let's have a problem of our own, so and we if, can uh, they, increase our <laughs> rates." And they own their own forest. They're probably going, "Oh, well, we had the rest of the staff cut down their own Christmas trees, so we're <laughs> kind of behind a little bit. Give us a couple of months." <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that you know, that. That's a whole nother topic. Uh, so let's move to question number four. How gypsy contractors? These are, you know, basically the ambulance chasers of the contracting world. And I'm not saying some of them aren't great craftsmen and in some cases aren't needed, but not as a independent contractor. I would much rather see, uh, you know, like a skilled roofer that would come in after this, a hailstorm damage and work as a foreman or a uh, a roofer for an existing company, not somebody trying to come and set up their own roofing company just to get through the instant workload that this hail damage required only to move on out of state afterwards because then they're not going to be there to service the work or have questions or you know, you're you're out of luck. Once they moved on, they've moved on. Uh, so I, I, again, I'm not saying there's not a time and a place for them. Especially, uh, you know, you got the floods in the Midwest, the hurricanes along the Gulf Coast. You know, there's not there is a place for tradesmen to move around and help with storm relief. It's just you can run into a situation where somebody might come to town knowing that there's going to be a lot of desperate people and he's sniffing out those desperate people that have talked to a roofer that is three months out, that is six months out, that's, that couldn't even tell you when they're going to be able to get to. And he comes up and he makes you a promise that he can start right away. He's got the extra material from a, a source that he brought in from somewhere else, but I just need 50% down. You know, in desperation, the homeowner writes that check on a wing and a prayer that this can get done. And he cashes the check and you never see or hear from him again. Sounds like a four-letter word we've said many times before. S-C-A-M. Or scam. close to it. Scam. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe. And they've get they get pretty creative and pretty convincing. In Arizona, you have to have a register of contractors license to do contracting work within the state borders. And it's a six-letter number that the azroc.gov issues, Arizona Register of Contractors. Guys will just go pull a number and put it on a business card and say, yeah, this is my license number. Uh, and they may even name their company something very similar to whatever company they took it from. Let's say it's ABC Roofing, Inc. Well, he takes the ROC number and says ABC Roofer. Um, just company, of, yeah, co, yeah, and puts the same number there. So you go there and you look and you're like, okay, it's the same. Well, you want to look for the qualifying party. You want to call the number that's on the register of contractors website and verify with that company that this person that's out there giving, soliciting you, 
is somebody that is employed and works for the company. If they've never heard of them or don't know, uh, you know, stay away from that. Unfortunately, the registered contractor doesn't have the budget to go after that, uh, the scam contractors right now. There was a time they were they were building that sting operation, uh, but when a big wave might come into the state and hit, you know, it's just way too much for that agency to manage. So uh, just avoid that, do your due diligence, and that's one of the benefits of using a Rosie on the house certified partner. We go through that uh, steps for you. We've already done the homework. Everyone that's on our network is licensed, bonded, insured, and been in business in the state of Arizona at least five years. I don't care if you've been in business 30 years in Minnesota and you moved here and started a business. You know, Brandon Nickerson at Pinnacle Roofing will tell you, yeah, we had to, uh, you know, learn Arizona and we had to be successful in Arizona uh, before we could join Rosie on the house. And, uh, you know, and, and they'll tell you the, the skills we and the roofing systems we used in Minnesota are nothing like Arizona. So we have a very unique landscape geographically, the terrain, uh, the environment. So we want somebody to understand Arizona before they join the Rosie on the House Contractor Referral Network. So that's why there's the five years. And then the fifth question on it has nothing to do with home improvement. I don't even know why um, this one's on there. I think it must be because it was Thanksgiving weekend, but it talks about uh, the link to Rosie's steak uh, recipe. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, if you don't want turkey, you can always have steak. <laughs> Well, I think at this point, probably everyone's looking for a break from turkey yeah. to go to steak. And oh. this um, this recipe, though, comes from the original Chris's Steakhouse that, you know, most people know now as Ruth Chris. Uh, you know, it was who Ruth bought it in the 60s uh, and then renamed it Ruth Chris. But it was Chris's Steakhouse prior to that. And, uh, you know, my grandparents learned this when they were uh, – you know, in school at LSU, you know, back in the 50s and would visit New Orleans for, you know, their their fancy nights out. They, so the link is uh, on that article on today's blog. The five questions received by Rosie on the House that should be asked more often. <laughs> Let, let's welcome John to the conversation. John, let me introduce you to the most knowing the most knowing contractor I know, the registrar of contractors for the entire state of Arizona, Jeff Fleetham. John, why don't you ask Jeff your question? Okay. Um, hey, how are you guys? And thanks for taking my call. You yeah. bet. Um, I got a question. I have a new build, and this question is around the felt and the tiles on the roof. Yes, sir. So um, it's, it's in the construction process, and they put the, t- they put the felt, and they've tacked it down, and they have the tiles sitting on the roof, and it's been sitting on the roof for probably over two months or more. Okay. And during that time, there's been, you know, we've had a little bit of a rainstorm and a lot of wind storms. And I'm just wondering, you know, if that's good for the felt. And, and how long can they keep those tiles up on the roof? And in the meanwhile, you know, they put the drywall in the inside. I just feel like the inside yeah. is still exposed. Gotcha. Uh, all right, well, John. Well, all right, John. Here, here, here's, here's the reason. And, and you mentioned the key thing, the drywall <laughs> is already there, right? So what the tile does is it, it, we call it preloading the structure. So the tile is heavy, right? And so the tile goes on the, on, on the roof structure, 
and it preloads it. And so it compresses the building to where it's going to be compressed when it's finished. And then you put the drywall on before that so it doesn't crack when you then put the tile on. So that's a normal process. Uh, the felt, if there's any problem with the felt uh, before they put that down, they'll fix that. They'll repair that if they got to re refelt it or whatever. But that's called preloading, and it's a common practice with tower roofs. It's the right practice. Yes, yes, so, it's, yes, a right common practice. So, so. John, they're, they're doing it the right way. And just one more reason why if I'm building, I do it in masonry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you well, build it with a strong enough material, you don't need to preload because you're yep. expecting cracking, warping, and twisting and splinting. On the walls, they still want you to preload Yeah, your you roof, would still preload it. Always preload it. So. Now, listen, Director, uh, the topic of the hour, you may not know that if you're a listener, uh, was painting. <laughs> but, oh, boy. But when we found out you were coming in, I thought, well, boy, I'm going to jump all over this opportunity. But okay. And one of the things we wanted to talk about today uh, is the presence of lead and for do-it-yourselfers that are in homes that were built prior to 1978 right you know you need to test this and i know folks i know there are do-it-yourself test kits you can buy but are you qualified to actually test correctly so i just want to ask you homeowners a couple questions you're in a home built prior to 1978 it's probably and you're going to do a little remodel. Well, we're going to need to test it for lead, for your safety and the safety of everyone that's going to work on the project. Do you know how to test it for lead? How many coats of paint have been put over that original lead-based coat of paint? Three, four, five? Were one of those coats left over lead-based paint? Or had they converted to acrylic? You need to test every layer of paint that's been put on that house not just the paint that's on the surface and then there are kits that are designed for particular colors if you use the wrong kit on the wrong color you will get a false negative when in fact you could be dealing with lead-based paint and you wouldn't be taking those unnecessary precautions professional lead testing is not that expensive. We actually include it in every estimate we do. Lead and asbestos testing, it doesn't cost a lot of money for the reduction of exposure of liability and health concerns. It's well worth the money. If you, the Arizona homeowners, are tackling a project on a home dated, constructed before 1978, contact a lead and asbestos testing agency and get it tested correctly, professionally. I do not recommend you using the do-it-yourself kits. There's just, there's just too much you need to know to do it and do it right. It's called follow instructions. <laughs> I, and you know what? That's another app I found at the Builder Show. Jennifer, what was that app's name? Built. Built. B-I-L-T, right? Built. Yeah, built.com. They have taken the owner's manual of literally thousands of products, and they've animated, illustrated, and video enhanced every instruction manual. It was the most genius. It makes following directions cool again. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a free app. 
you download it, and then you go, uh, let's just say, uh, Thermador dishwasher installation. And it will show you every step, animated, illustrated, from the owner's manual, how to do it. But just think if you didn't follow directions and you got it right the first time, how, how, much, time, uh, how yeah. much time you would save. How, how, <laughs> how many badges of honor does that get you, huh? But it, 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 was, it was a brand new app that, I, that really awesome. caught my attention. So let's say I have a, a sink. Well, it just, just, just happened to me, too. Yeah. Uh, bathroom faucet. Yeah. Okay? It's 20 years old. I know the stem's leaking. Yep. If I don't have the instruction manual, I can go here and find it and Absolutely. see what the part number is. And it'll, as well? it'll even demonstrate how to do it. So it's like YouTube and animation and the owner's manual all built into one free app. Genius. Awesome. And, and the guy that demonstrated, we did a little uh, video on it so we could demonstrate it. Um, he said there, there isn't a manufacturer that isn't in waiting to get their manuals loaded wow. onto their software. That's awesome. And they've already got, literally, you can't think, if you walked into an Ace Hardware store and looked at all the brands, there isn't a brand on the shelves that yeah. isn't already in that app. That is awesome. Those of you that are doing the remodeling on your own, just be aware we were using asbestos and lead in many building products right up until 1978. If you're going to tackle a project on a home older than that, please do the lead and asbestos testing. There is a government website that's pretty darn helpful. EPA.gov forward slash lead and or asbestos.